So, all right. First things first. How are you? I'm doing good. Yeah, just arrived here to Germany last night. So, beautiful weather. It's great. Okay. Before we talk about the record, I'd like to go back quickly. Do you remember the first album you ever bought with your own money? Um, yeah, I was very young. I don't remember how young, but um, I want to say that it was probably the Beach Boys. Okay. Maybe you know um, when I was God, I must have been I don't know fifth grade, sixth grade, sure. maybe or something. Very young. Mm -hmm. Well, there was a song 409 mm -hmm. that they played. It uh, had a car motor rubbing in it and stuff, and it was catchy. And for me, you know, I was in you know I was a kid, so I was into that and stuff I seen on TV like the Monkees or something sure. like that. You know, those those are the kind of the records I was buying then. Okay, and well, in hindsight. What are, what is your opinion of the Beach Boys now? Um, well, it brings me back good memories okay. because of that, and they're always a fun, happy band. So mm. it's kind of like you know, fun party listening music. Just you know, takes me back when you know everybody was young. You didn't have any worries in the world. You're living mm. at home, no bills. Everything's sure. just wake up and having fun every day as a kid. You know, at that point. Did you already think of, of going into music? Was that already on your mind? A, a little bit started, you know. Um, yeah, I have older brothers and they were into okay. music and they were playing. My oldest brother was playing guitar mm -hmm. <clears throat> and he was into like Crosby, Stills and Nash and like Led Zeppelin and stuff sure. like that. So I was kind of turned on to music and just fascinated by he's playing guitar and also had a harmonica and he's playing them both and mm -hmm. singing and I thought it was pretty cool mm -hmm. you know at the time so of course you know that's when you pick up the guitar uh, the tennis racket and you're <laughs> pretending you're playing the guitar or the tennis racket yeah and that crossed your mind you know it looked like something fun and, and different and well you mentioned the Beach Boys, Crosby, Stills and Nash when did the louder stuff come into it? Um, well, my first thing was uh, probably Kiss. Okay. Um, I got to go to a Kiss concert in 1976 mm. when I was uh, 12 years old. Okay. Um, no, yeah, 13 years old. I was in, went to see our, my first Kiss concert, mm. and um, we got dropped off me and some cousins in San Francisco for the concert. And that was like my very first big, like, wow, big show where a lot of lights, sure. Gene Simmons blowing fire and spitting blood and, and uh, you know, our first time really being around a lot of pot. People were smoking pot around us and stuff. And so at that point, I was like, wow, this is, that's, I want to do that. And we made our way down into the front and I got a, had a white t-shirt and I had Gene Simmons spit blood on me. <laughs> so I was like, wow, Gene Simmons, that's it. You know, so, you know, that's, it was so intense and it was so bigger than life. That, sure. That's kind of like, you know, I'm going to be, I'm going to be like Gene, you know. <laughs> and at that moment, did you say you were 12? Did you know you had a voice? No. I, so I was a guitar player. Sure. I started playing guitar when I was interested in music. I wanted to play uh, Michael Schenker, when I was younger, that was who inspired me guitar player-wise. Mm -hmm. I didn't know I was going to be a singer until, um, you know, one day my, I went to my little brother's rehearsal. They had a band, 
uh, called Rampage, and um, each guy in the band sang uh, at one song or another. Mm -hmm. And I went to rehearsal one day, and they threw me the lyrics of, here, you sing today. And I sang, and at the end of the day, they're all right, you're, you're going to be the new singer. <laughs> like, okay. I'm like, okay, so I don't know what that, how to do that. So I decided to go back to school and okay. take music classes and guitar classes, singing classes. And then I pursued taking some private lessons in San Francisco and Berkeley. Mm. And so I started pursuing, try to learn how, to, how do I become a singer. And kind of took it from there and, mm -hmm. and, and took about two years of vocal training and classes. And when I finished that, that's when I was like, okay, now I'm going to find a band. I'm ready, you know, to find a band sure. now. And I lived um, an hour away from the Bay Area, which mm -hmm. like Berkeley and Oakland, sure. San Francisco is where all the music was happening. So we had to travel there. So I'm like, I'm going to have to go to the Bay Area to try to find a band so I could perform in the Bay Area. And um, <clears throat> that's when um, Steve Souza, who was in, uh, who's in Exodus, was in yeah. Legacy. He was the first singer. And he was friends with my younger brother. And uh, he came over one day and said, hey, man, I'm, I'm leaving Legacy to join Exodus. Mm -hmm. You know, here's Alex Skolnick's phone number. Why don't you give him a call and audition for these guys? They're going to be needing a singer. Sure. So, you know, and that style of music was new to me then. I didn't really understand um, thrash metal or faster music. I was, because I was older, I came from a generation where it was more, you know, like Dokken or Rad or stuff like that, more mm -hmm. harder, heavier rock. Right. Um, so that, that's kind of how that whole thing happened. I went and auditioned for the band, learned three song demo. Went and auditioned, and uh, they were weren't sure because they knew what background I came from, mm -hmm. but they still also kind of liked the fact that I was kind of melodic and I was screamer. I had a higher voice and I'd scream mm -hmm. a lot more. They liked that, so they said, you know, they took a chance with me, and and I got the gig. Okay. And I kind of walked into the record deal because they had a record deal with okay. Steve, and uh, when I joined the band. Um, they asked the company, Megaforce Records, you know, we still have a deal. Mm -hmm. And they made me to go do a demo. So I did three or three song demo, sent it to them, and they liked it. And that's when they came out to fly out to see us and uh, listen to the rehearsal. And that was kind of an unusual day, too, because that night they got, or that day they got there for the rehearsal, they were really tired and they'd, we'd found it. They'd been up all night because that was the night before they got the news that the Metallica bus crashed and Cliff had oh, passed wow. away that night before. So the next day everybody was really sad and, you know, we're auditioning to get a record deal and it was, it was just a really weird mood. Sure. But at the end of it, they liked it and they said, sure, we, we have, still have a deal. So I kind of walked in my first band, first audition, got the gig, right into a record deal. Okay. So it doesn't happen like that often. Well, it's interesting because you say you came from a different musical background. What was your impression of the band of Legacy at that moment? Well, I didn't, I didn't understand it. And they were, they were much younger than me. I was 22, 23 years old. Alex was like 15 and, and 16, 15, 16. And the other guys were probably 18, 19. Um, so they were, they were still kids to me. Sure. And... Um, the style of music was something that was I didn't really quite understand yet. Mm -hmm. You know, I was I knew who Metallica was and all that, but I didn't. 
because I came from a different background, mm -hmm. the vocals and lyrics patterns didn't make sense to me, or I didn't understand it, I guess, um, until I got into the band and I had to learn that demo. Mm -hmm. So I really studied that demo, and once I got the demo down, and Eric helped me a lot, he, he would coach me through and help me learn how to be sing to the time and, and the speed of the song. Mm -hmm. So I kind of got, kind of just got thrown into it and learned it really quick, um, you know. Mm -hmm. And Steve already had all the songs written for that first record. Okay. So I kind of had to come in and study what he did and sing his lyrics and the songs. So I learned really fast, right. you know, within a year I had all the songs down, rehearsed for a year, and then at that point I got it. You know, and I understood it going into the second record, The New Order. Was, was there a moment, maybe a song or, or, or a performance where you thought, okay, now, now I have it? Um, after the demo, because, okay. you know, I'd never really done demos before or recordings mm. before. Never heard myself on recordings before. Sure. So I didn't know, you know, and me and, me and Zet have two different voices and styles. Mm. So when I, when I did the demo, I tried to have, I tried to stick to what I do. I knew melody a little bit and trying to make it melodic and try to sing a little bit. So mm -hmm. I think at that point going into hearing myself recording and hearing the songs that Zet did, you know, I was, I was fired up because, you know, my first recording, wow, that's what I sound like. And, and um, it was all new, it was all new to me, you know. You mentioned uh, uh, Zetro from uh, Exodus, mm -hmm. but also Metallica. What, if, if, looking back at that time, the, the late 80s in, in the Bay Area, what made that area so fruitful for, for the kind of music that you were making? Do you know? Do you, do well, you... well, the Bay Area at that time was more known for glam metal, because mm -hmm. that's what, it, you know, <clears throat> hairspray and spandex and, right. you know, and hair and long hair and stuff. It was kind of known for that glam and punk rock. There was a lot of punk rock going on in the mm -hmm. Bay Area. So I think once Metallica kind of arrived and Exodus's first demos were hitting the streets, it started this new thing. It was new because it was kind of punk rockish. It had that attitude of punk rock, you know, and it wasn't glam, sure. so it was totally something new. And, and honestly, I think around that time, when all us bands started coming into the scene of the Bay Area, a lot of those glam bands that started there all went to L.A. Okay. It's like we chased them out of town. So there was this whole new kind of movement and sound that was happening at that time. And there was a lot of clubs to play. So there was always somewhere to play and see a lot of bands at that mm -hmm. point. Was there a rivalry then, in, in that sense, with those glam metal bands? Did you like each other? Uh, well, we're, some of us were friends, but okay. some like, you know, Paul Bailoff in Exodus, you know, he was out on a mission to kill posers and, you know, and, mm. and uh, it was definitely an attitude because it was almost, because punk rock had attitude. Mm -hmm. and. Metal to me, it, thrash metal kind of had that same little mentality and attitude. So, if you weren't with us and didn't fit in, you get out of here. You know. Okay. So yeah, there there kind of was a little rivalry, but I think honestly, yeah, because 
it grew quick mm. in the Bay and a lot of, I think the glam fans lost fans and they, because fans of glam music would always go to LA because that's where it was all at, you know? Sure. So all those bands left town and went to LA. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And then I, th I think the next five years we were very, very productive uh, for the band. I think every year tour and every then Every year a record and tour. Just at, right after another bam, bam, bam. What was that like? What, was it overwhelming? Because like you say, it was your first band that, uh, and you kind of... Well, we, 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 were, we didn't know the record business. We didn't right. know, you know, you do a record and you go on tour for two or three years. We didn't know. We thought you do a record and you just keep writing music and just... We didn't know. Nobody told us mm -hmm. how to do it or what to do. So, and we were all young, living at our parents' house. Sure. Um, the best thing was to go to the studio and drink beer and get high and and jam. That was fun to us. So we did that like every day. You know, five, six nights a week, we'd go to the studio and, and play. Mm -hmm. So we had a lot of times to get creative and write songs and jam. Sure. So we we're we we're creating a lot of music pretty quick over those four year period. Mm -hmm. And looking back at the period, because uh, I think. Then after Ritual, it became a little bit more shaky. The, the lineup started to change, and then. Well, at the Ritual, that's when we knew that that was the last record Alex was going to do. Okay. Um, I think at that point, going into that, the, the band did start growing apart. Um, I think at that point, I know when we wrote the Ritual record, it was a heavier record at first mm -hmm. when Eric wrote it, and. I think that's where the tension started. Maybe Alex didn't want it to be that heavy. He wanted to kind of go a different direction, be maybe a little more polished and a little more commercial. Um, we were on Atlantic Records, a big label that had A and R guys telling you, "Where's the single? Where's the radio right. song? Where's the radio hit?" Because that's what they did then. And I don't think that really was us. Okay. You know, so Alex leaving, us not really being. 100% and doing what we're doing. We kind of started growing apart on the ritual. Mm -hmm. I like that record and there's some good songs, but I hear how it was moving away from what we were, what we originally started. Mm -hmm. It wasn't as thrashy at all. You know, it was more polished songs. Is this something that you notice now or did you know at the time as well? No, at the time we didn't know any better, but we knew that something was wrong. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, you're always proud of whatever you create and you put 100% into it. Of course. But the mentality was maybe getting not so um, aggressive. And I mean, because we didn't know. I mean, everything happened so fast. Mm -hmm. Just bam, bam, bam. And, you know, and Alex was young. He was 15, 16, started the band. And so he grew up his teenage years, which are pretty important years, sure. touring, playing heavy metal. And uh, he really wanted to experiment other types of music you know which was fine you know we we're like we understand you know we get it but unfortunately the, the climate of music was changing too you know pearl jams nirvanas and sure. sound gardens all those kind of bands started coming into the scene and um at that time american radio or mtv there was things that metal can had exposure you can drive and drive time traffic on regular AM or FM radio and still hear heavy metal mm -hmm. songs. 
as soon as that other thing, Seattle movement started happening, it changed literally within a year overnight, you know, the label started dropping their metal acts and mm. no more MTV, no more radio playing metal. It really did change. But we were at the end of our contract. You mm. know, the band split up and we had one more record to do. So I know me and Eric, mentally, when Alex chose to leave and he, he left, we kind of were like, man, what what's happening? We're really bummed. But on the other hand, we also said, well, shoot, now we're going to be heavier, you know, right. man, the, the ritual should have been a heavier record, you know, let's not let that happen. So the low record was, we experimented with tuning the guitars down to fit more naturally with my voice. Right. Um, and that's when we kind of found this feels more comfortable, it feels heavier. Um, and then I wrote a song, Dog Face Gods, that um, was the first song I really sang death vocals through like a whole song right and i really got criticized by our fans okay that oh, don't do that don't you're gonna ruin your voice what are you doing don't we don't want you to do that but then i got some new fans were like yeah I like that direction you're going keep it up you know so it was hard you can't please everybody sure. and it was hard to please everybody but but was that, was that a difficult time? Because like you say, the, on the one hand, the musical landscape is changing and then also... It was difficult because it was the last record on the contract. Mm. We didn't know, this, are we going to get another contract? Mm. Is the music business changing so much they don't want metal and we won't get a contract? Because we're on Atlantic Records, which is a major label. Right. It was a big machine doing a lot of marketing and a lot of, you know, doing what they do. So yeah, we were, we were a little nervous and scared at the time. What, what, were, what was going to happen. Mm -hmm. And, uh, well, what's interesting is then, then two albums uh, do follow low, uh, but after that it kind of uh, dies down again. Was it because of the health issues or were there... No, it was, that, it definitely was because of that. Okay. I mean, after, after the Atlantic contract was up, mm -hmm. we didn't know what we were going to do. So at that point we decided let's, um, well we got some new band members, James Murphy and mm -hmm. John Deddy was in the group. We decided that let's do a live record live at Fillmore. Mm. And uh, with Johnny Z who owned Megaforce Records, um, we had spoke and we talked about what if we start, he convinced us you guys should start your own record label mm. and um, put out your own music. Sure, sounds like a good idea. So that's what we did. We created Burnt Offerings and um, released that record on our own. And it did very well. We sold a lot of records. We actually made some really good money on it. Mm. And that kind of opened our eyes like, okay, maybe there's something here. Maybe we're going to do it ourselves. Mm -hmm. We don't need these other labels. We're going to do it ourselves. And then uh, we moved from that record into the Demonic record. And at that point, the industry was so different. So metal was, we seen everybody getting dropped off the major labels. <clears throat> so we're like, let's just write heavy and hard. And, and that's when Gene Hoagland came into the band. Mm -hmm. And the songs were just much more intense and heavier. Um, where I actually tried to sing on them, but it just didn't feel right. The, the voice wasn't right until I sang the death stuff. And Eric's like, yeah, dude, use that one. Mm. So that, that one came... That was a heavy, hard record, Sure, but I don't think the people or the fans or fans of ours were really ready for that yet. Okay. And, and 
if, if we make uh, parallels to, to now, how do you see the musical landscape now then in terms of metal and, and, and how it's received not only by the fans but by the industry? Um, well, it's night and day because now when you were on a major, it was great. You Independent labels were smaller labels and maybe you didn't get as much promotion and marketing. Mm -hmm. Well, that's changed now. Now the independent labels have all the acts, our great label Nuclear Blast, you know, they have all the metal acts. Mm -hmm. And um, and it's, and it, well now, because it's a new generation of younger fans, younger and younger fans getting exposed to heavy metal and mm -hmm. being at concerts. And there's not really, there's still not the, the radio and the MTVs and all that, but there's the live concerts now that uh, is the big thing where you have to see your bands or the internet that, mm -hmm. that helped bands get exposure now. Well, you mentioned that uh, Demonic was, was quite a heavy record, but you've also settled, because I want to go into the new record now, uh, that Brotherhood of the Snake is, is perhaps the heaviest or the fastest record you've made. Um, I would say the fastest, but I just think it's, it, it's putting us back to the mentality of what we did, because when we did the Dark Roots record, mm. we're very proud of it had some great songs, but I think what was missing out of it, there were some couple fast songs, but it was still missing that thrash or attitude that we didn't have that was on like Demonic or the Formation records. Mm. Those were much faster and heavier. So when we were working on this, we knew that we want to pick it up. We need to, we needed to be more intense and faster like you know, the gathering or the formation record. So we knew going into it, we wanted to pick up the tempos a little more. But also, I also wanted to sing a little more though. Mm. I wanted to be faster, but I wanted to still have melody and still have some hooks in there too. What's this difficult to do? Because you mentioned that with, with Demonic, it was difficult for you to, to sing on it. And then, so, so how, how did you balance this, this with the new record? Um, well, I, I chose that, you know, I mean, the music is, makes me, I have to listen to music and the vibe of the music is what mm. I'm going to kind of do right. and sing and maybe even write about where I, I think I use just enough of the death stuff in the right spots on this record because it's not like I couldn't use anything. I mean, there is mm. some heavier, uh, more intense riffs and songs that called for that kind of a voice, like Can of Business, there's some yeah. in there that's a little more heavier. Um, but I still wanted not to lose the sight of keeping it catchy, mm -hmm. you know, having some hooks and, and catchy vocal phrases and have some cool words and stuff like that. Sure. What was the first track you started working on after the whole Dark uh, Roots kind of tour ended? Um, well, we had a lot of riffs, but okay. the first song that was completed was actually Brotherhood of the Snake. Okay. Um, I don't know, maybe two months before we went into the studio to record the album, we completed that song, had the lyrics, and we decided let's, um, let's record it, possibly put out a single, but also maybe, maybe see if we use another producer other than Andy Sneap. Mm. Maybe there's somebody else out there that might give a, a better sound or production or might make it different. You know, just try something, you know, it couldn't hurt. So we decided to record that song and have like Randy Staub, 
a different mm -hmm. uh, producer mix it. And he did a good job. But at the end of the day, you know, we ended up sending it to Andy and saying, what do you think? And, you know, and he would tell us, oh, he's missing this. He needs to do that. We'd go back to Andy, oh, try this, try that. And it got to where we were happy, but we did realize that Andy knows our sound. He knows who we sure. are. We need, to, we need to go back to Andy mm -hmm. and stick with him. And, and because uh, that is the title track, conceptually, did you already have in mind what the album would be about? Uh, when we came up with Brotherhood of the Snake, yeah, at that okay. point, um, because originally, well, in the last couple of records, I was trying to write more lyrics about real things, mm. you know, losing your parents or getting ill or things that just were real that affected people. Why this change? Why did you want to focus more on these real things? Do you know? Um, because I wanted to kind of just get away from your... Uh, typical cliche kind of heavy metal lyric, sure. you know, gloom, doom, cemeteries, sure. zombies, you know, I wanted to kind of have something more to say, I guess, because as we started, we we're always kind of conscious about the environment or our planet and stuff like that. Those were real. Um, but this year, I know Eric said, let's, let's stray away from writing about us and being so real. Let's come up with some cool stories and mm. some cool words and, and, And I said, okay. So um, I was hooked on, uh, I watched a TV series called Ancient Aliens and it had a lot of um, stuff about aliens and religion that kind of caught my attention because there was showed religions um, going back in time that also showed around the world, like different religions around the world mm -hmm. long time ago in their writings or writings on the walls or whatever there's always these alien beings with long bodies and arms and big heads and flying objects in the sky and it kind of made me think like wow maybe maybe there is aliens or maybe there is something to this how how did every how did they all see the same thing right and it's all within their religions because it's it's a bigger power and maybe it's a god to them but back then um so that kind of first opened my attention to mm -hmm. the alien part of it in religion and then I came across the story uh, Brotherhood of the Snake mm -hmm. and when I came upon that story it was uh, about a secret society over 6,000 years ago that uh, was actually out on a crusade to kind of uh, devalue religions and you know that religions you know aren't good and right, you know right. uh, here's what we are here's our belief and their belief was there was an alien king okay. uh, a god or a king or an alien being that named Anu who basically um, created mankind to serve as a slave okay. down on planet earth sure. to mine for our minerals and gold and stuff so I'm like wow that's kind of a cool story there's kind of a creation of a lot we can create, build on. Mm -hmm. And then with my ancient alien story, it all kind of came together. So that's when I told Eric, you know, what about the Brotherhood of the Snake? I told him and had him read the story. And he liked it. He's like, wow, I like that. That'd be a good title for the record. Mm -hmm. So that's when we said, okay, we were in agreement. All right, that's what kind of set the ball rolling of where we're going to go lyrically and kind of create um, something not so real, I guess. Right. It, but it could be real. I mean, it, it could be aliens, and we're sure. talking about reality, but it's so far-fetched to believe. 
Sure. You know, you can you can go make up a story with it. Well, th th there's something very interesting, and it might be a bit personal. So, uh, cor and yes, correct me if I'm wrong. But were you raised Catholic? I was raised Catholic. You know, mother was very religious. Went to church every Sunday and catechism classes after school and. Mm -hmm. You know, yeah, I was, it, was, it was. My parents were really re religious, yeah. And then, but I read that when you uh, got ill in 2000, I think... 2001. 2001, that you also, because you, obviously you're you have Native American heritage, that you went back to Native American healing. And I did. I, I did both. I did chemotherapy. Hmm. But also, I was looking for something else because... You know, when you're told you have cancer, right away you think, okay, I'm dead, you know. Right. And, you know, um, so I wanted to, I wanted to try anything, okay. you know, to help me heal it or just mentally kind of prepare, you know. Hmm. And so I've had some medicine men come to my house and do some healings on me and I, I went through some really wild stuff with sure. them that really kind of made open my eyes to more not religion but spirituality mm. and believing in something and that kind of you know made me open my eyes to maybe there is something to other religions and understand why the other religions are so strong in their beliefs of their god or sure. their power but it's, it's something that kind of opened me up, that it was like a spirituality, really. There's, I might have misheard it, but there's a line in Neptune's Spear, I think an open mind is a weapon. Yeah. So there is this, can I tie this in with that, that you kind of had that? Well, yeah, but the, all of it kind of ties together, those lines in there, but that song, Neptune's Spear, mm -hmm. was really a song about um, when we went after Osama bin Laden. Mm -hmm because SEAL Team 6, the mission that they were on was called Neptune Spear. Okay. So that's what that song's about, basically, is them storming the walls, getting intel, capturing him, having the green light, and basically one-shot kill. Sure. You know? Um, so, the, but, you know, there's some songs that kind of tie in, but they were kind of... You know, when we were like writing, when I was writing lyrics, at some point I was like, okay, I can't keep writing every song with the, the with one thing in mind. There's right. there's got to be other stuff, and and I the song the feeling of the music makes me hear or create the, what the story is going to be about. So songs like Neptune Spear or Blackjack or Cannabis were songs that kind of were on its own, but they still tie into the earth mm -hmm. politics. You know stuff like that, and, and like you said, you've never shied away in your lyrics from from political uh, political beliefs. And, and would you sense uh, censor yourself in in terms of what you wanted to say? Um, no, I wouldn't censor myself. No, okay. no. You know, I think uh, there's always a message um, in anything you write, and I think like when we're writing the let's see, greenhouse effect must be on practice what you preach. You know, I would find that kids are like, you know, they're like greenhouse effect that was about growing marijuana in a greenhouse. <laughs> it's like, no, no, no. They're like, they didn't know about global warming or didn't care. They were young teenagers that were into music and having a good time, sex, drugs, rock and roll. 
Right. So if there was a message there within what we were doing, cool. So there's still kind of a message in things we sing and write about still. Final question then, because with what you just mentioned, do you think uh, you yourself and the band is, is perhaps sometimes mis, uh, mis, uh, misunderstood? Um, no, not really, because I mean, what we believe, we're never a band that um, says, this is what I believe and you need to believe this too. Right. We always leave it open for interpretation. You know, we can only write what's on our mind and what we think are aware of and make try to make people other awareness or like I said how they interpret songs are meant to be interpreted um, by how you you, know, you might have something going on with that you could relate to mm -hmm. you know all songs you can you know it doesn't mean what the writer meant it to be you know? sure I think my time's up so thank you very much thank you thank you